But if we can accomplish those two, clean environment and a low stress environment, for the most part, we were able to completely eliminate nursery scour. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. Genesis, the first power in genetics. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. This episode's sponsored highlight is about cloud farms. Curious to discover if you can manage your animal data and teams work with the touch of a finger? Some of the best and largest pig farm holdings worldwide use cloud farms to collect and analyze data like never before. How? With the most advanced mobile app to collect data accurately and super fast. For breeding, farrowing, weaning, and finishing. Also, this is the easiest way to assign tasks to your team and motivate to work more efficiently. You instantly understand what gets done on time and what doesn't. So yes, you can manage your animal data with the touch of a finger. Hello everyone, I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Christine Manquist-Wiggum, who is the Director of Health at Helen Pamp Family Farms. How are you today, Christine? Great, thank you for having me. Oh, we're glad to have you on today. Christine, some of our audience may not be familiar with you. And so before we start talking about our topic, maybe uh, do a brief introduction about yourself. Sure. Yeah. So I'm uh, a veterinarian with Pillen Family Farms and DNA Genetics. I've been here for about seven years. Um, we're based out of Columbus, Nebraska, but I'm originally from uh, Southwest Iowa. So grew up with uh crop farming and a cow-calf operation, um, not a ton of swine experience or swine background, and then really became, you know, introduced to modern swine production during vet school, uh, realized, loved the epidemiology, the herd health, uh, and the people, and was, was hooked from that point on, and, and so switched to swine exclusive. And then right after grad went to Iowa State, right after graduation, uh, started with Pill and Family Farms. So um, yeah, it's been a great learning experience and a growth experience, and have uh, really enjoyed my time here with Pillin and now um, with DNA Genetics. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, we're certainly glad to have you on today, and I think this will be a, a good conversation. Um, we've talked a couple of different times over the probably six to eight months with different groups on their perspective of what's happening in the nursery and particularly nursery diarrhea. And, and I know we've talked to some nutritionists and others, and I'd like to kind of hear from your aspect, especially when you think about your work with DNA and pill and family farms and kind of that nucleus and, and that conversation around it. Mm-hmm. And so maybe let's start with just some generalities about what are you seeing today in terms of nursery diarrhea? Yeah. So it, it is unique, you know, you get to see your commercial pig and that's, 
um, probably where most of the discussion today will be, but then also getting to see the, the purebreds and, and how they respond to their environments and the disease aspects there. So you've got some really high health, clean animals all the way down to your, you know, traditional, maybe we've got a first challenge flow. Um, so a wide array of health statuses, but one area we really like to, to think about and focus on is how can we control pathogens? How do we manage that pig regardless of health status? Um, so this has been a project that we've been working on for the past five or six years is that, you know, all, I'm talking specifically probably that early nursery scour. How do we impact that and how do we make a change? So um, the approach that we've taken is let's be systematic about interventions and let's document and record those interventions and the outcomes so we can t continue to build on improving um, our health status. So diagnostically, uh, a lot of the early scour that we would see would be rotavirus and it'd be a mix of A, B, and C, uh, really no patterns, but, you know, very consistently rotavirus scour. Um, you know, occasionally an E. coli um, and, and hemolytic E. coli would, would be part of that. And so a lot of our interventions were targeted at scour um, and really through the whole process of peeling back everything that we'd been treating pigs with and the, the rations we'd been feeding and saying, okay, let's build it back up and see what we can do incrementally to make a difference. We were able to um, kind of define different areas that we were failing from the management side or the health side um, to, to control this early scour. Mm -hmm. So uh, probably the, the biggest thing that we focus on is sanitation and reducing stress. So that could be, you know, stress around weaning, stress from the environment, stress from produ production practices that we have in place. Um, but if we can accomplish those two, clean environment and a low-stress environment, for the most part, we are able to completely eliminate nursery scour. So that's actually very interesting. And before I kind of jump into a few questions about exactly what you're doing you're defining early scour as something that occurs within the first week after weaning, or is it a different timeline than that? Yeah, yeah. First first seven to ten days. Yep. Okay, so one of the first things I'm going to ask, because of course, as a nutritionist, you're always a little bit curious. We've always had these conversations around how often we should be feeding that pig when the pig first arrives. And when we think about minimizing stress, do you find that there's different responses to the pig based on the number of feedings a day or is it more just no we just need food in them no matter how you get it in just get it in yeah so we absolutely um big believers in that early gruel feeding and getting pigs up and making sure that they know where feed is and honestly for us it starts prior to weaning um creep feeding the seven days prior to weaning just getting that pig exposed to solid feed rather than mom's milk. Um, we've seen, we've been able to document a decreased percentage of pigs that lose weight that first, you know, first 10 days placed in the nursery if they were creep fed 
that seven days prior to weaning. So that's a non-negotiable for us. And then that early creep diet would be, it'd be our early weaning diet that would also be the same, um, you know, starter pig diet for sick pen or small pigs in the nursery. So high, high lactose content. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious on that creep feeding in the sow farm. Is that, again, a, a specialized early pig diet or is it rolled oats or is it you know, sow feed on a mat, because again, we have so many conversations around that. And, you know, obviously medications off the table because we don't want mom to be exposed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, is there a certain combination that you found is to be successful in that? Yeah, we, it would be solely our uh, unmedicated early weaning diet that we use for creep feed. So we did have to make some um, infrastructure changes to accomplish that. Uh, so put in, you know, small two-ton bins on some of our larger sites and, um, you know, just managing that and managing biosecurity of getting that different diet in can be a little bit tricky, but that's where we've really seen the benefit of the post-weaning success is using that early weaning um, starter diet rather than sow feed or any other type of feed that we'd ha have on a sow farm. Mm -hmm. Perfect. The other thing I heard you say was gruel feeding, and it made me think back to our old PED days when we were early weaning pigs and everybody got gruel feed. Is that what you're saying there is that everybody gets gruel feed or is it still kind of the lower 10% get the, the special feed? The lower 10%. Um, yeah. So we, we'd sort off our smalls and then um, have, you know, kind of our fallback or sick pens. And those are where we really target the gruel feeding. And it's been... I, it's it's a constant struggle uh, to accomplish that correctly. You know, you don't want to mix too much. You don't want the consistency to be consistent consistency to be off, um, and you don't want gruel sitting there for two hours um, and and spoiling, and then you end up with pigs eating bad feed. So a lot of that is training and execution, and our our nutrition team is heavily involved in that protocol. Um, but we find that getting that pig up and whether that's going in the pen to walk pigs or um doing the gruel feeding but just that early attention and that early care those first few days makes a huge difference whether or not they find feed or not mm -hmm. you're very good and i found that too right the more often we get them up or at least if we get them up multiple times a day that certainly sets them up better um, and it's not like it's know, a ton Oh, no. Oh, right. I don't well, think it is. Yeah, it's not, it's not a ton of work. It's just being present, popping into the pens. It's not super stressful for those pigs, but it's a, oh, hey, I can't just lay here all day. So, um, yeah, it's not like it's a ton of extra time for our team members to do that. It's just actually going in and getting them up. Yeah. Stirring the pen, right? <laughs> so one of the other things you mentioned that you talked, of course, about minimizing stress and the other piece that comes into my mind is vaccinations yes and so it's so common for us to vaccinate either while they're on the sow the day before weaning or they walk in the barn and we might put something in the water and we might be injecting do you change that approach when you're talking about minimizing stress or do you try other ways to mitigate that inflammation response when we vaccinate yeah so absolutely actually that's one of the main changes that we implemented um, we were on a traditional program, so they were getting their first dose at weaning, second dose three weeks later. 
And we really, we noticed that three weeks later dose, we'd come in, you crowd them, they get stressed. And then they're seeing that, you know, that secondary response and that immune response is so much greater with that booster dose. They were going off feed. Um, and we'd sometimes even have, you know, a parasuis break or an E. coli break surrounding that event because they're stressed. Those rooms get hot and humid. It's just a lot going on. Um, so we looked at how do we, what can we do differently? What can we change there? And, you know, we'd love to reduce labor. We'd love to reduce stress. So we looked for another time. We're already picking the pigs up that we can vaccinate. And that the option for us was that early pig vaccination program. So we give their first dose at three days of age. The second dose we give uh, the day prior to weaning because they still get about 24 hours on mom to kind of recover from that. And then by the time weaning days here, you know, they don't, they're not completely stressed from vaccination. They're not going to get re-picked up and re-shot once they arrive in the nursery. Um, and then once they're placed, no other vaccinations are given in the nursery. So all they have to do is eat, drink, sleep, and grow. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, to accomplish that, though, we, we did a lot of testing. We were worried about some maternal antibody interference with the vaccines we were giving. So um, did some did some preliminary work there just to make sure that that wasn't going to be an issue focused a lot on guilt immunity um and have successfully been doing that for about four years that's very good that's actually really good to hear um because that is one of our biggest challenges i think as we when we bring them in and we stress them right away with with vaccines on top of everything else yeah we we estimated based on um we tried to do some side-by-sides of barns. We had about 200 barns on trial for each treatment, and it was around three-quarters of a percent mortality difference by moving that shot to the three-day and three-week versus the three-week and six-week. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about that shot, so just for our audience, for clarification, we're talking about the mycoplasma or mycoplasma PCV2 or which which. Yeah, if we were giving a combo of PCV2, mycoplasma, and uh, Lawsonia injectable. Okay. Yep. So then my next question for you, because I know you always hear it on the opposite end, is if you give it that early, did you have issues with breakthrough in the finisher? Because while it might be good to start them well, it might cost me in the end. Yeah, um, we have not. So, And that's part of our maintenance program is anytime we submit tissues, we're doing PCV2 surveillance. Um, we're pretty much mycoplasma negative. So that one hasn't been as big of a concern, but um, also no ileitis breakthroughs. Um, so that finishing diagnostic piece is part of the the compliance program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, the other piece to stress that I think about in this process is transportation. And I don't know the distance from your barns to your farthest nursery, but do you manage that transportation differently? Do you account for that when you bring those pigs in? Can you talk to me a little bit about how you handle transportation? Yeah. So most of our sites, um, the the pigs are probably going to ride anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, but we'd have some that are, they're going to be on a truck for five or six hours. So we're lucky we've got a great transportation team that ensures the trailer is set up correctly. The drivers are very engaged. 
Um, but at the barn itself, we want that environment ready to go for the pig. So we don't want them walking into a cold barn. They're going to have to expend energy to warm up. And, you know, we want it to be as great of an environment on arrival as possible. Um, so our traditional nurseries where we've got plastic floors and, um, you know, it, they're, they're really set up to receive pigs. It can be easier for going into a weed to finish site or concrete floor or wire floor nursery. Um, you know, it could be a little bit more challenging, but a lot of that is coaching our teams and, um, you know, making sure that that protocol is in place to be set up to receive pigs. And I think some of the, some of the technology we've invested in has given us some good insight into pig behavior and pig comfort level, comfort level post weaning. And it's been really good to have that visibility to see how pigs are starting what the pig behavior is to get buy-in on um, controlling that environment post-weaning. When you say technology, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, we're um, pretty lucky to to you know have some some forward thinking. We like to be we say cutting edge, not bleeding edge, but made the investment to put uh, cameras in our nursery rooms. So we'd have a camera at the front of the room. You can see almost all of the all of the pens. And we've used it a lot to observe laying patterns. And um, from those laying patterns, you know, helping to observe airflow and what's going on in the room. So we've been able to change how a nursery room's set up. You know, min vent settings have changed dramatically. Uh inlet settings have changed dramatically, how we stock pens, where we put sick pens, um, all of that, because we had these cameras in place and we had the people dedicated to sit there and watch them at all hours of the day. You know, we changed our curves. We changed everything um, based on those observations. We have, And maybe you can't, but I'm curious if you can quantify how much that's impacted your nursery, the mortality, the growth rates, if there's anything there that can maybe help producers that are considering this, but just aren't quite sure if the economics are there for those cameras. Yeah. Um, You know, that was such a gradual process. We don't have, we can't assign an ROI directly to the, you know, the implementation piece. And I don't think it's necessary to have a camera in every single room. Um, but as a learning tool to realize where the gaps are, um, I, I honestly can't remember exactly what, what the camera costs or what the, you know, it, we had to hard, hardwire them in and we'd have some equipment in the office, but it was really fairly easy once we had it set up. And, and most of them were set up around our, um, we call them critical control points, but biosecurity areas. So then it was really just an expansion of the cameras we had around the biosecurity uh, risk areas. Uh, so the infrastructure, building that infrastructure wasn't as difficult. But um, I think that the investment and the return comes from how you use that information and what you can what you can impact on the farm. So, you know, we we used it, we realized we needed to bubble wrap inlets. We needed to put weather stripping around doors. Um we changed our gruel feeders to a different style of gruel feeder. You know, it's really basic 
things, basic changes, and um, be all those changes, reducing the stress, increasing the sanitation, you know, that ROI is we don't have to medicate our nurseries. We don't have an extra four, five, six percent death loss. So that we can quantify, but yeah, I, I don't have the exact numbers on the cameras. Oh, that's fine. I still think it's just fascinating. The things that you've been able to observe and then make changes on uh, is really actually quite interesting to me. So I agree. Anytime we have the opportunity to let the pig tell the story, it's, you know, we're better off for it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's very intriguing. So you, you've mentioned the word sanitation a couple of times and I haven't forgotten about it. So let's kind of jump into it. So um, we talked a little bit about having a warm, clean environment and concrete takes a couple of days to warm. So we, we know we want to have a dry area, but what else can we do in terms of sanitation to have that barn ready for those pigs? Yeah, so I think where the the thought process started for us was when we've got a brand new barn or a site that we've formaldehyded, it seems like that very first group through fantastic performance. And then you get subsequent groups through and the performance just seems to drop a little bit, even if it's the same health status or the same flow of pigs. Um, and so we realized, okay, that that's a sanitation piece. What should we do differently? And we thought we were doing a good job. We're, you know, hot water power washing and disinfecting. There's a day down to dry and you put a new group of pigs in. But you'd walk in and you kind of, you feel on the floor and the floors felt like grimy or slimy. And if, I remember one, one meeting, an analogy I used was you wouldn't eat food off of dishes that you rinse with cold water. You want to use soap and hot water and you want to scrub them and you want them dry before you eat again. And they're like, well, so where's the soap? Um <laughs> So we started looking at different detergents, and uh, we found that uh, application with an alkaline detergent, so we, we foam it on through a power washer, uh, let it sit for about 20 minutes, and then come in and actually hot, hot water power wash after that. Um, it, was, it was unbelievable. We saw a 1.15% decrease in mortality just with application of this detergent. Um, it's, it, it was just unbelievable. It was, I don't know, like two cents per pig or something to do it. And then you, you ask the power wash crews, hey, what do you think about this product? And, you know, they don't see the pigs, so they don't really care about the pigs, but they're like, yeah, we won't power wash without it. It makes things go so much faster. Um, so that, I mean, that was extremely simple. And we saw a huge, huge payback on that. Mm -hmm. So before you do the... The, well, the detergent, if you will, do you do a pre-soak on the barn or does the detergent go on first as the barn is dry? Um, yeah, most most will do a little bit of a pre-soak, uh, trying to be conscious without, you know, how much water we're using, but it, we wouldn't go into a dry barn and apply detergent. So we right. do that in the nursery. Honestly, our fairing does it too. A little bit of a pre-soak, maybe knock down some of the big um, pieces of manure and then apply that detergent. Probably is a little bit more reactive too, right? It'd be like me putting dry dish soap on a dry plate or dish soap on a dry plate. Right. Doesn't right. smear very easily to get it to work. And so same analogy exactly. here. I'll use it <laughs> one more time. <laughs> so yeah. it, my other question to that though is when you go back and not the detergent, but the actual disinfectants, 
Do you ever rotate your disinfectants in your in your barn programs? We talked about it. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't couldn't find great data on efficacy or need for uh, disinfectant rotation, so we pretty much just stuck with one. Um, so I mean, potentially that's an area we could look at, but you know, we choose the one f- we use for efficacy and cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's fair. Some people I know rotate them, and I think, again, it just depends on the diseases that you're dealing with and the pressures that are in the barn. Um, my other question around that, and it's it's a piece that we don't think often about, about, but I put it in the sanitation list for me, at least, are the water lines. <laughs> so what are you doing to prep those water lines before pigs come in? So some of it is being conscious about what we run through the water lines to start with. Um we we do occasional water quality analysis, first of all, just to make sure we're running what we say we're running. But then we really try to limit the amount of, you know, organic material that we would run through there or um, carbohydrates, anything that bacteria would thrive on. So we're not going to be running any of that through the water line. So I, I do think that helps. We also limit Honestly, we limit the amount of medications and everything that we run through the water lines too. Um, so trying to just maintain health that way preventatively. And then if we do see an issue, so if something comes up, maybe it's a, a hemolytic E. coli or um, water lines getting plugged for some reason, we would implement a water line cleaning at that point. We've not seen a return doing a water line cleaning on every nursery turn. Um, so I think for us, probably the jury's still out on proper efficacy, um, you know, or frequency, and then what the efficacy is based on that frequency. Well, I think you bring up a very good point. You start with a, a program where you don't run things through the water lines. So we reduce the chance for biofilms and so forth. But if they are going to do that, then it might be necessary to to do a routine water line flush with something prior to those pigs coming in just to break down that biofilm. And so, you know, as you indicate, management's going to be a big piece as to some of these decisions that you're making today. Yeah. And then I think just remembering to continually have that conversation, because if we do need to run something, it's a lot easier to do it when pigs aren't in the barn. So you kind of have that on, on the nursery. We've got you know, once every six or seven weeks to do something. And if you load it back up and you miss it, then you're out another six or seven weeks. So um, communication and somebody somebody keeping track of it is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Well, Christine, I see our time is kind of wrapping up and I've, I've actually had a really good conversation with you. I've enjoyed talking about the ways to set that barn up and reduce the stress on the baby pigs and before we jump into those infamous questions that we ask our, our guest speakers, maybe just send a couple of takeaways or key points you'd like our audience to have today. Yeah. Yeah. That time sure flew. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think for us, you know, like our, our culture and our core belief really is letting that pig tell you what it needs. So being able to read the pig and, and usually the pig's needs are warm, dry, draft-free, and a low-stress clean environment. If we can do those basics right, 
yeah, diseases may come in. We may have some stressors there, but we cannot ignore just meeting those pigs' basic needs um, and and listening to what it's telling us that it needs. Fantastic. That's a great summary and good take home for our listeners. It's time for our famous three. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts, MS Gold, the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Swine management to the next level. Cloudfarms.com. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. An animal nutrition technology company offering innovative products and new applications for the swine industry. The combination of AB Vista enzymes, technical services, and nutrition expertise provides the industry with new opportunities to further improve production efficiencies. Fiber is receiving renewed interest due to its influence on the microbiome, and AB Vista has brought together research experts to discuss the industry's knowledge of fiber functionality and to introduce a stimbiotic targeted to improve fiber digestion. To request access, contact NAM at abvista.com. That's N-A-M at abvista.com. Well, as we wrap up for today, as I mentioned, we're going to ask you a couple of questions. The first one I'm going to ask you is, do you have a swine resource that you'd recommend to our listeners today? So I'm, I'm going to put a plug in. Um, I'm on our AASV uh, Early Career Committee. And one mm-hmm. of the resources that that committee has developed is um, it's a bank of experts, subject matter experts. So, you know, I love looking up a good research paper just as much as anybody else does. But I think having that human connection and somebody to reach out to is a big deal. So we do have that uh, that list of subject matter experts. If you've got a question on anything, um, being able to reach out to them and, and learn more, I think, is uh, really powerful. Mm-hmm. Very good. That's a good resource. I've not heard that one lately, and that that's actually a very good resource for everybody. How about something that's not related to pigs? Is there a book that you've read recently or that you are reading that you'd recommend to our listeners? So I'll probably alienate about half of our, half of the, or maybe over half of the people listening, but uh, I'm a new mom. Uh, so I, my days are spent reading, you know, books on like how to survive this transition to motherhood. And I've really enjoyed the, uh, taking care of babies, taking care of babies, uh, resource. So it's, uh, saved my sanity and, and having a kid that sleeps 12 hours a night allows me to get up and do what I do every day. So if, if you haven't heard of that one and, and you're going through the same stuff, that, that's that been a lifesaver. Absolutely. I think any new mom would take a 12-hour <laughs> night of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, my last question for you is if you can think of someone in your life that you have defined as successful, what's a trait that they possess that's allowed them to be successful? Yeah, I, I really... So I, I see... There's one person that that I'm thinking of and and he always you know sticks to his core beliefs and doesn't deviate from from the things that that he, you know, kind of like the the truths that you hold hold to be the most important 
Um, so I think, you know, just being, being true to yourself and not deviating from that, um, you know, then you, you're always consistent when you work with others, people know what to expect with you and you can go to bed every night knowing that, uh, you know, you've stuck to your, you stuck to your guns. And, um, I just, I think personally for me, having that approach to, to life, to family, to, to work, um, you know, it helps helps guide you in your decision-making. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a great one to have. Well, Christine, I do want to thank you again for your time today. It's been a pleasure visiting with you. For our audience, again, this is Dr. Christine Manquist um, Wiggum, and she is with Pillen Farms. Christine, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been been really fun. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.